Praise the Lord, we are in the third part of our series on the King's Heart and we've been blessed so far as we've looked at the, the heart of the King, the heart of governmental rulers, how it's so important to pray for our rulers, it's so important to pray for our leaders. You know, we don't like to think of them as rulers uh, in this uh, 21st century, but in essence, um, that's what government is. And and here in Britain, we live uh, in a constitutional monarchy system um, where the Queen has uh, ultimate power politically or governmentally, but uh, not absolute power. And that's why we have a constitutional monarch. So the, the Queen signs off on legislation and law made by Parliament. But anyway, it says here, Proverbs 21, verse 1, which is our foundational text, it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, we need to understand this, is that God's will, in terms of governance, is well established in scripture from places like Psalm 2, Psalm 149. We see uh, that um, God wants national leaders to worship the Son, to embrace the Son. He doesn't want them to turn away from his word as being the civic code or the basis of our laws. We see that uh, King David said, uh, and, and he cited uh, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He said uh, that men must be just and rule in the fear of God. Now, we might not have that in our Western nations right now. We, we might not um, have it even with Trump and Boris Johnson in that they are completely sold out men of God like David was and Solomon was in his uh, early part of his reign. We might not have that, but we we can go towards that. We can move towards that uh, and certainly pray that God will give us prime ministers, presidents and rulers, leaders who will conform to his purpose. And sometimes, sadly, that might be better achieved and accomplished through someone who doesn't know him in a personal salvation way rather than someone who is born again. There was at one point uh, a real demand in America that the president be a born again man. Uh, but that's not entirely what's important. What's important is that the king has a heart that is malleable, soft, to the Lord and also that he will listen perhaps to advisors and counsellors that God sends him or her in this day and age. Um, and we have a lot of female uh, leaders in politics. Now, um, we have, uh, we can get areas uh, about uh, those, the counsellors that I'm speaking about. We, that President Trump in particular is surrounded by people like that. And that's what I call Emrys Ministry, which is very much a, a Celtic idea that the, the king, the high king, is advised, and all kings really are advised, by uh, wise men who are really uh, leaders in the church, the ecclesia. So uh, the most famous, of course, was Merlin, uh, a wise counsellor. And we see that even in things like Lord of the Rings with Gandalf and so on. Now, you don't need to have a big long beard and a big white cloak and a big staff. But Emrys Ministry, 
is very vital and we need God to raise up people in that area who will speak truth to power and give wisdom and counsel and rebuke if necessary from God. Well, think Nathan the prophet, think, think Samuel the prophet, think all the prophets who spoke to kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you'll see where, I, where I'm, I'm, I'm coming from. But it's so important to understand that the king's heart has to be turned. If his heart is turned toward wickedness, being the head of a nation, he will drag the body of the nation uh, towards wickedness, which means if you have a dud king, a bad king, the nation will be judged. For one man, yes. Uh, for one person who leads a nation, God will judge the whole nation because, and, and in particular, I think today more than ever, because we live in democracies and we've elected these. So we chose whoever leads us. And if they turn out to be somebody who is wicked in that they oppose God's word and they're anti-Christ and anti-God, then God judges us for that because we elected them. And so the nation can be just back in, in, in ancient times, uh, it wasn't the case that leaders of nations were elected. Uh, most often it came through conquest, uh, dynasties and so on. Anyway, I want to read this to you. Um, this is quite a big study, this King's Heart. I, I don't know how long it's going to go on. I've got lots of notes. And so there's going to be quite a few episodes of it. Um, and as I was following the structure of the notes... Um, I found this one here, uh, this verse that I'm about to read, um, speaks into, it's not in my notes, but it speaks into what we're, where we're progressing as we go through this study. So I want to read this verse. It's Proverbs chapter 16. And there's actually a few verses that speak about uh, the king. Okay? And so we'll start reading here from verse 10. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king, his mouth transgresseth not in judgment. A divine sentence, which means really that the authority of God is in the words of the king or the national ruler. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. And that's on the basis that we must understand that if the king, if the prime minister the president of a nation, the, the, the national leader, is somebody who is appointed and anointed and ordained by God to, to do that job. In other words, there's someone who's sold out to Jesus, uh, who has surrendered their office and their nation to the Lord. And that person then becomes a conduit through which God can uh, bless that nation. Remember that David's throne was set up by God, and it was called in Scripture the throne of the Lord. So that meant that the throne of David in the earth is God's divine instrument of dominion. God said, I will put all other kings under that throne. Read Psalm 89. And so it's so important that the person, that the incumbent monarch on the throne or in high office is somebody who, who is intimate with the Lord, and somebody, or, or at least, as we said, somebody who will obey God's will because then God can speak through that person and legislate through that person, particularly if that person steers the legislative arm of their nation, i.e. the law courts and so on, along the lines of God's word and not create laws that are humanistic, socialistic, feministic, all these things, if that makes sense. All right. 
But that's not what, what the verse I want to look at, but it reads into it. It says here uh, in verse 11, the next verse, a just weight and balance of the Lord's, all the weights of the bag are his work. In other words, justice in terms of economic justice um, and not corruption, not, not all of that, um, you know, horrible uh, corruption that we see, bribes and so on. So in other words, it all starts from the king. It all, if the king opens himself, the national ruler opens himself, herself to the Lord, then that will result in justice throughout the land, and particularly in terms of laws and then economic justice. And then here's, this is the verse I want us to look at. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. For the throne is established by righteousness. It's an abomination for a king, a president, a prime minister, a first minister, whatever, a chairman, whatever it is that they're called, whatever title they have. It's an abomination. It's not just, well, that's not a good thing. It's an abomination for them to commit wickedness. In other words, be derelict of duty in their office to, by allowing unrighteousness to be in their administration. It's wrong. It's just that wrong. Okay? And and it, the Bible doesn't call it just wrong. It calls it an abomination. If you have a national leader who is making laws opposed to God's word, if you have a national leader who's allowing corruption and uh, injustice and covering things up, scandals and so on, if you have a national leader like that, that person is an abomination. Your nation is an abomination. Let's be honest. There are very few nations you can think of who, who, who wouldn't qualify for that. But that's the sad thing. And that's why we must pray. Our prayers are to turn the hearts of the kings. To turn the hearts of rulers. To turn them where? Towards the Lord. Okay, it says he turns them whithersoever he will, speaking about the Lord. But he's waiting on you and I to pray, Lord, turn their hearts. Because he wants us to be co-regents, co-laborers, co-workers with him in this process of bringing God's kingdom to earth and his purpose to be done in earth in your nation, in my nation, as it is in heaven, to bring down the culture, to bring down the principles, to bring down everything that is in heaven. And of course, that means binding out everything that's not in heaven, which there's no injustice in heaven. Did you know there's no politics in heaven? There's no democracy. There's no votes. <laughs> there are no opposition parties. Jesus doesn't put himself up for re-election you know, every thousand years or every ten years, or that he, he, he is Lord forever. And so we need to see that reflected in our societies. What will that look like? How will that be accomplished? Well, that's really something that we have to figure out as we go along, because uh, being realistic, a prayer sincerely meant and with intentionality and understanding that God's kingdom come and his will be done really is a prayer to eradicate and eliminate the system that we have today of democracy, which really just means that, that the people rule. 
And um, that's not a good thing because what if all the people are, you know, wicked or the majority are wicked? Then we have wicked laws, wicked society, wicked culture. So we do need a theocracy of some kind, how it's going to look. Um, and I'm not talking about an ecclesiocracy where uh, we have, you know, established churches running countries. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about theocracy and that God rules. How will we bring that about? Well, there's going to be, have to be miracles. There's going to have to be the supernatural. Uh, but that's what we're praying. And you say, well, that'll all be accomplished when Jesus returns. Yes, it will. But we have to labour and pray towards it now. We have to we have to see it working to a degree now because the powers of the age to come are available to us. So he says here that the throne is established by righteousness. And that means that leadership, governance, national leadership, the rule of nations, the reign uh, of governments is only truly achieved and established and properly manifest and expressed through righteousness. You can have governments that stomp all over people. You can have uh, communist China or Soviet Russia, the Soviet Union that is. You can have tyrannical um, governments. But you know, evil is unsustainable. You can't keep that up forever. Um, you can't, because people have a desire in them. Even non-Christian people have a desire to be free. People will only accept Orwellian dystopian um, governments for so long. There'll always be a resistance. We saw that during the Second World War, that people resisted Hitler's rule because it was tyrannical. You can't have despotical rule forever. You have to have freedom. And But, you know, let me just say this to you. Freedom is not freedom to do what you want. And freedom from all uh, laws and government. It's not that at all. Freedom is that you're not oppressed um, for being righteous and for, for conforming to God's word and being a, a Christian. And that's why the liberty that we seek as Christians is a liberty from being persecuted and oppressed by unrighteous government. You know, millions of people over the years have died because for the faith, because they were oppressed by wicked governments. Many people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament lost their lives. The apostles, think about that. I've shared that recently. To be an apostle is a death sentence in the New Testament. You're appointed unto death, Paul said. In other words, you can lose your life, your liberty, your livelihood, all three, certainly your life, uh, you know, being the, the ultimate. I mean, he lost his, um, as did the other apostles, with the possible exception of, of the apostle John. Uh, he's the only one that wasn't martyred. And um, so we have to understand these things, um, that... God's purpose for nations can be accomplished in prayer by the saints, by the ecclesia of God, by God's kingdom people, praying down his government. Not to, uh, in a, you know, we're not going to start a militia, take up our guns and, and you know, physically overcome 
the governments where we live, fight their armies and all that. But we transform in the sense, how do we transform? By praying that the leader's heart be turned. Um, I'm going to be looking at what happened to Solomon. Solomon's heart was turned. But he was, it was turned the wrong way. We'll look at that in our next uh, session or further down the line. The turning of a king's heart. It can be turned towards the Lord or it can be turned away from the things of God. It can be turned by pressure groups, protest movements, if the leader is weak. And we see that in the Western nations right now. We see them um, bowing the knee quite literally to agendas and to organisations and to ideologies that masquerade as something good but really are driven by people. It's really just people want you to bow the knee to bail, okay? It's as simple as that. So, you know, taking a knee for this or taking a knee for that. Well, we ought to take the knee to King Jesus. And that's what Psalm 2 basically says. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Bow the knee. Worship him. Embrace him. Receive him. Now, it's great for leaders to receive Jesus as individuals and get born again. But it's going beyond that in that psalm. It's going beyond that in Psalm 149 where it tells us that as saints of God, we have the authority to impose God's purpose, God's kingdom agenda through his word. We have the authority to impose that in prayer, in, in preaching. That's what the Puritans did. That's what the Reformers did, of course. But the Puritans followed on. And here in Scotland, the Covenanters, and, and, and they actually made the people of all uh, the different parts of the British Isles to conform to what, what was called the National Covenant which was that they covenanted the nation to God and said, we want to be God's nation and we want rulers who sign up to that. And they made Charles II sign up to it. And of course, he reneged on it. That's why we had what we call in Scotland the killing times, where people were persecuted by government, by rulers, by kings, whose hearts were turned. Now, people will say Charles, heart, Charles II's heart was never in signing the National Covenant. He did it for a political reason. But even if that's so, his heart was turned to wicked design. And that's why the Stuart dynasty, the Stuart line of kings, within the, the line of Davidic kings here in, in Britain, that's why they lost out to William III and then you know, and they made the Hanoverian kings and so on. The Stuart dynasty lost, although the, our, our queen today is descended from the Stuarts, and of course, so was William, his wife. Um, you know, so that that the Stuart, the, but the actual Stuart dynasty as such, and that's why Bonnie Prince Charlie tried to come into Scotland, um, and so on. Um, but that the, the definition of the Stuart line was wiped out because Charles II. His heart was turned. He reneged on the covenant that he made with the people of God for King Jesus to be the head of the nation and the church. And the Stuarts didn't like that. They, they believed in the divine rule of kings. They were right, but they took it to an, an extreme. So the king's heart is so important. Now, we're talking here about kings. I'm talking about the Stuart line and so on. We're talking about Queen Elizabeth. We still have a monarchy in Britain. But in America, they rejected 
the monarchy. So they have a president. And other nations have different types of leaders. So the principle is that we pray for the leader's heart, the leader of nations, and the leaders, being other ministers of state, secretaries of state, whatever they're called, pray for those who have the rule over you. First Timothy chapter 2. Why? That we may lead a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence or justice. We want justice on our streets. We want peace. Peace and justice come from praying for people through, through praying for leaders. In other words, you pray for Scotland. You pray for England. You pray for Canada. You pray for New Zealand. Wherever you live, you pray for your nation, your country. You pray that God's blessing, God's favour, and salvation come and revival and reformation, all these things, you, and transformation, kingdom transformation of society. You pray for those things by praying for the rulers that they will embrace these things. And you say, well, what if they don't? Well, pray them out. Remove the wicked, replace them with the godly father, we pray, or replace them with those whose hearts will be open to you. Give us better leaders. Give us better rulers. Change the guy that's there. Change the woman that's there. Or else give us better. Now, you can pray that. It's not a hard prayer to pray. You know, you don't need to get sackcloth and ashes on to do that. Just make that part of your prayer routine. Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, do that first. First of all, I exhort that first of all, don't pray for Auntie Jeannie's sore toe. You know, don't pray for that problem, you know, in your family and all that trivial stuff. It is trivial. I'm sorry, but it means a lot to me. Yes, but pray for it after you can see when you get God's big picture idea. Then, and you're praying at that level where you should be if you're a mature saint of God. The small stuff is easily dealt with. Okay, but you you know, this honour have all his saints to deal at that global level, that planetary level, that international level, that because you're not just praying from an earthbound perspective, you're praying God's kingdom, eternal glory realm purpose down onto the earth to transform society and to raise up righteous leadership. Your job as a believer is to pray for righteous leaders. When you get the opportunity, as you mature, God can open the door to these things. I remember, just share this as before I, I, I close, I remember years ago listening to Robert Slearden speaking about his first ever experience with uh, uh, the president of a nation. And he, and he said in, in the message, it was in a tape, cassette tape, if you remember those, for that, um, to believe God, that you would have that opportunity to be sent before kings, before leaders. And I remember not long after they heard it, matter of days really, um, I'm standing in the airport, Houston International Airport, and standing right next to me was the First Minister of Scotland, Henry MacLeish at the time. That shows you how long ago this was. And he was standing at no aids, no bodyguards, nobody knew who he was. You know, he's just standing there, casual dress, suitcases. And I said, to, and, and the Lord reminded me that just that, you know, the Robert Slayerton message. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, do you have a message for me for this man? Should I? And the Lord says to me, no. He said, I don't have a message for you. I just wanted to show you how easy it was for me to put you before kings, before rulers. And, and, in such a way that you wouldn't be stopped, you wouldn't be interfered with, you wouldn't be, 
you know, bodyguards holding you back or you wouldn't be arrested. The man was there on his own just as a as a private citizen. Um, and, you know, sometimes over the years I've thought maybe I should have said some things to, to him. But that's the point I'm trying to say. God can place you before rulers. You don't need Boris Johnson's mobile number. You don't need President Trump's red phone on his desk, you know, or, or his private email. You don't need these things. God can, you don't even, even need to meet them anyway. You can pray. You have access to their boss. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Jesus is the governor of the nations. Now you might say, some of this stuff, you know, is repetitive. Yes, it has to be. Until we get it into our heads. This is how God transforms nations. By transforming the governance of those nations. By transforming those who are in government. Those who are in authority. That's why we have to pray for them. And the ones that are like Pharaoh whose hearts are hard, God will remove them if you pray. I've seen it happen. I've seen God remove rulers like that. So, And that's what they fear. Let me just tell you right now, those that know about these things um, at that level, that's what they fear. They don't want a powerful church. They don't want an ecclesia praying like that. They don't want you and I um, thinking along those lines. They're happy for us to have our little meetings, our three hymns and, you know, maybe a few worship choruses and, you know, the Lord bless you. They, they want happy, clappy meetings. They don't care. As long as we don't start pushing into their territory, their real realm. Let me tell you something right now. That te territory, that realm, that's our realm. That's that's where we need to be focusing our attention. That's the whole point of Seven Mountain Transformation, stuff like that, is that we start to realise that as long as we let the world run with the ball, we're going to be playing the game that they want to play. We are not playing by the playbook of globalists, of um, socialist communists, billionaire, you know, uh, James Bond type, you know, uh, world domination maniacs. We're not playing by their game. This is the playbook. And we need to start understanding how to use this book to bring about God's purpose in the earth. Let's just have a quick word of prayer and then we'll leave this. Father, we just thank you for your truth in these matters that your word declares what must be, not only in our individual lives, not only in our church lives, but Father, in the nations and in the governments and the king's palaces, that, Father, Lord, transformation must come through the application of this playbook, Father. And it's not playing. You're, this is serious beyond anything. Your word is our source. Your word is all authority to us. Teach us how to use it and speak it and preach it and proclaim it and decree it. Teach us how to pray using it. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you, folks.